You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Take your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51, the 51st Psalm. And um, on my mind recently has been the missions revival coming up. And we didn't even talk about that tonight. There's so much other stuff going on between that and, and here. But October 20th, seven weeks from tonight. And uh, I'm personally already excited about it. In my estimation, the missions revival is the most important week of our church's calendar year. And, uh, and I, I say that because missions is the mission of the local church. And it should be our heartbeat. And we should, every time we get an opportunity to, um, to emphasize missions, I want to try to do that. And part of the reason I call it a missions revival is because I don't just, I don't just want it to be another meeting. I don't just want it to be a time where we get together and you, you, know, you give some of your time in the evenings and we've got a lot going on and it's busy. I know I want it to be a time of revival for our church. And uh, I, was, I was anticipating preaching on something else uh, toward, toward the missions revival, um, the financial part of it. But I, I just felt led to come to this prayer in Psalm 51. It's a song, really. And um, I, I, this is just a lot, kind of a late, a late decision because it, I couldn't get it out of my mind. I read it yesterday and I thought, this is the kind of prayer that we need to be praying as we're coming into a revival type season. This is a revival prayer. And if you'll notice in Psalm 51, the heading underneath it, maybe it, maybe it has this in your Bible. It says, to the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Does your Bible, anybody else's Bible have that heading? Many, many Bibles do. You have that heading, and it's an important heading because um, David is a, was a man after God's own heart, and yet this is probably the worst stain on his life. This instance, this episode with Bathsheba when he committed adultery and, and then committed conspiracy for murder, murdered Bathsheba's husband, all of those things happen. It's just a sobering time. But I do also think that it is an expression of the kind of revival prayer that we need. Because I do want revival, I, and I want revival all the time in my own life. But I think there's something that we get used to. We get used to the presence of sin. And we forget how much it really stains us. We forget how sinking we are. Like the song, Love Lifted Me, we were stained, we were sinking, we get used to the presence of sin, but I also, though, want to connect this to missions. And so, uh, I know that seems like a strange connection, but I do think that we're going to see there is a connection here, in that as we are revived in our spirit regarding sin, God enables us to be more effective in reaching other people. And I want to connect the two tonight. Let's read this, this psalm. And I'd like to read it together. If you'll read it out loud, we'll read it from start to finish. And if you could just pay attention to the pace of the people around you so we can stay together. It's not a race. You do not get a gold star if you finish first. Um, so let's read it together. Psalm 51, ready, begin. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. 
Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. There's so much here. I wish we had more time to cover it. I want to just point out a few things tonight. And uh, I need to pray and ask the Lord to help tonight. Um, I'm calling this message, You're Better Off Broken. You're Better Off Broken. Let's pray. Father, I pray for your help. I pray that you'd help me deliver it clearly. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I remember a story when, uh, I'm just going to use Brother Samuel here. I've known him since he was young. So as stories come along that remind me of Brother Samuel, I'm going to use it, okay? This one actually doesn't involve Brother Samuel as much as it involves my wife. And uh, I did not ask her for permission, I'm, so I'm asking for forgiveness right now, okay? <laughs> when Brother Samuel was probably, I would, I would say he was probably 10 years old, his parents went out of town uh, to Australia for a missions trip. And my wife and I, were in our family, we were asked to come over and watch the Hardy kids for, a, I mean, it seemed like months, but it may have been just a few days. So we were asked to come over and stay with them and watch them, and, and uh, we had a great time together. It was, you know, they, they live out in the country, and we just had a really good time with, the, with those kiddos. And, um, but the low point of that time staying there at the Hardy house was one day my wife was in the kitchen, and she was either putting plates up or taking plates down from this tall cabinet in their kitchen. And she did something. I don't know what she did. I'm sure it was not her fault. But she was the only one in the kitchen. So she, she reached up to grab some plates or put some plates back. And in doing so, knocked a whole stack of their nicest dinner plates out of the cabinet. And I think they were Corel, so they were unbreakable, except that's a lie, okay? <laughs> because I don't remember how many plates were broken but it was more than a few. Basically, they're a whole set of nice dinner plates. And so you feel terrible. You're at somebody else's house. It's an accident. You're trying to figure out how to break the news to them. And I, mean, I would have rather told them that Brother Samuel broke an arm, okay, um, than those plates. So, you know, you're, you're, you feel terrible when you break something like that. If you've ever been in a store and you've accidentally knocked something over and broken it, um, you feel bad about that. I was in a store recently, and it said, I'm glad I w- this was not, I was not in this store when this happened, because there was a sign. It was one of those stores that had a lot of knickknacks and breakable things on the shelves, and there was a sign on, on one of the shelves that, what, is, what did it say? If you break it, you buy it. All the Brother Dana, the business owner, he says, if you break it, you buy it. And I'm glad that the Hardys didn't have a sign in their kitchen that said, if you break it, you buy it, because that would have been an expensive break for us. But, but, it, but it reminds me of the way that our culture looks at things that are broken. Because our culture looks at things that are broken as being no longer valuable. 
And our culture looks at things that are broken. They say, if you break it, you buy it because it's no good to me anymore. If it's broken, listen, if it's broken, it's going to cost you something. That's what our culture says. Or if it's broken, it's less valuable. But as I was reading Psalm 51 this week, I read something from David that contradicts that. Because he says in verse 17, 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And we could go over to Isaiah 57, 15 and see that God dwells in two places. I've heard somebody say God has two addresses, that he has an address in heaven and then he has an address with those that are of a humble and a contrite spirit, the broken ones. So while the culture looks at broken things and says that broken things have less value or broken things aren't, as, aren't, aren't worth very much, do you realize that the spirit of brokenness is actually exactly what God is looking for in us? That's the idea I want to emphasize tonight is this, that you're better off broken. Now, there are some things that are better broken. I, I think about a baseball glove. As a kid, I used to play baseball. But if you were to take a baseball glove and on, right off the shelf and go into the field and try to use a baseball glove, you can't hardly do anything with it. It's not broken in. And everybody has these different ideas of what you do with a baseball glove. I know people that will cover it in shaving cream, put a ball in the middle, tie it up, and stick it in the oven for a while. I mean, crazy stuff. I hear it works. Um, but you have to break in a baseball glove before you can use it. Uh, I, I think about a horse. A horse, I, I, I don't deal with horses. I don't know a whole lot about them. I've been on a few in my time, and I, I'm glad that somebody took the time to break that horse before I got on it. You have to break a horse before it can be useful. Um, I, I, I was thinking for some reason in my mind, maybe I was hungry for candy in the moment. I thought about a pinata. I like pinatas. Because once a piñata is broken, what's inside? Candy. Now, I mean, for all of those of you that are from Mexico, um, not the Mexican kind of candy, okay? <laughs> that stuff is way too spicy for us. We like it sweet, okay? If it has chili in it, I don't know that I would qualify it as candy. We can talk about that later. But a, a piñata, you've got to break a piñata before you can get the candy. A child of God, listen, is better broken over sin. Meaning that if, it, why is it? Well, I, I want to start by looking at when we're unbroken over sin. I just want to think about all the effects, the results of unbrokenness. When you're not broken over your sin, I just want you to think about what David talks about in this passage. Just consider how unbrokenness over sin affected David. This list is so sobering. Look at verses 1 and 2. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. You see, sin is multiplied. David talks about three, he uses three words for sin. He uses the word transgressions, and the word transgression has the idea of crossing a boundary. And then he uses the word iniquity, and that word iniquity is the idea of twisted or crooked or perversion. He also uses the idea of sin at the end of verse 2. And that means falling short or missing the mark. So he, he doesn't just say, um, I was guilty of a sin or two. No, he says, I was guilty of sin that was multiplied. I was guilty of transgressions. I was guilty of iniquities. I was guilty of sin. And David doesn't sugarcoat the, way, the many ways that he had filled God. He's, he's obviously uh, aware of the ways he had failed God and he, he realizes that his sins were multiplied. And consider the effects of those multiplied failures. Again, in verse 2, he says, wash me thoroughly. At the end of that verse, he says, cleanse me from my sin. You know, when you sin, it soils your soul. He had to ask God to wash him, to cleanse him. Sin makes us dirty. And when we let sin linger, it requires us to be cleansed. Look at verse 3. Here's another, again, the result of unbrokenness. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. When you sin, it consumes your conscience. Have you ever done something that was so uh, embarrassing that every time you think about it, you kind of just do this again? 
You've done something. I remember in school doing something really embarrassing. And, and, uh, and I remember it, it, for weeks I would just hang my head like everyone thinks. I'm a big loser. Have you ever done something like that that every time you think about it, it still kind of plagues you on the inside? I still have things that I did when I was a kid that when I think about it, my face turns a little bit red. And you say, well, you're way too sensitive. Well, maybe I am, but I think that's human nature. When you do something that, that is embarrassing or something that you regret, uh, it kind of lingers and it, and, it, and it hangs on. And you know, David said, my sin is ever before me. He says, everywhere I look, I think about it. Every time I lay down, I think about it. It's ever before me. It's always right there reminding me of what I did. Look at verse 4. It says, against thee, the only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. You know, when you sin, you, you don't just sin against other people. You sin against God. All sin is against God. And we'd be less inclined to sin if we would remember that, that God sees everything that we do. Every sin that, it, that we sin, everything that we do, it's an offense against the God who loves us. He's the one who's hurt. He's the one who is stung by our actions. And you may think that anger or bitterness or retribution against somebody else, maybe that person that you just don't get along with or they hurt you at some point and you think that what you feel against them is against them only. It's not, it's against God. I've heard it said before, all bitterness is against God. And you may think that your secret sin isn't affecting anyone, but it affects God. David said, my sin was against thee, and it's against thee only. Look at verse 5. Again, these are the results of unbrokenness. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. And, and he's not saying that he was, he's the result of a sinful relationship. He's saying from the very beginning he had a sin nature. And, and don't let the, uh, the modern educational system or the modern culture tell you um, that children are born good and they're naturally good because they're not. And if you've raised kids, you know that to be true. You know, kids are, have a sin nature from the very moment that they are conceived. They've got a sin nature and, and they, they may not be responsible for that sin um, by, before the age of accountability. But I'm telling you, as young as they are, and I'm, I'm looking down here at Marlena holding that baby. That baby Marlena, as cute as she is, she's a sinner. She's probably going to prove it tonight during the service at some point. You know, all baby, all we, were, we, were, we were born in iniquity. We have a sin nature in us. But look at verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. David is saying that because sin is not just an outward issue. It's an inward issue. It's sin, sin is something that it has all kinds of, uh, it, it comes from the inside. Inwardly, we're full of sin. It happens inside out. I know this isn't encouraging, but hang on because, because I hope it does get more encouraging. You know, we like to think the devil made me do it. But sin originates in the heart and it comes out of our lips and it comes through our actions. Look down in verse 8. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. And if you've ever done something that plagued your conscience, you know that sin doesn't just affect your spirit, it starts to affect your body. And maybe you've, you've done something before that, that you felt bad about, that you felt guilty about. You know, sin has all kinds of ill effects on us. The stress of sin, it affects our countenance. It zaps our energy, it gives us ulcers, it, it raises our, our blood pressure, it increases anxiety. Spiritual sickness will turn into physical sickness. If you let sin linger long enough, you will have physical effects of that sin in your life. Again, these are the results of unbrokenness. Look at verse 11. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. You know, unbrokenness separates us from God. The reason that he has to say, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me is because David knew that when he sins, he was separated from God. The one person that we need the most in our lives, it, he can't be near us when we're unbroken because we're full of sin and he's a holy God and he can't be near us. Understand that, that, that when we're unbroken about our sin, that we remove God's presence from us. Last night while I was talking to this young lady, Chloe, who I think she's 14, is she 14 years old? And she, she responded to salvation and, and uh, I was able to talk to her and Rhiannon and, and, and I was talking about how, you know, heaven is a perfect place. Heaven is a place where there is no sin. 
And part of the reason that we can't enter is because we have sin. And the moment that we enter heaven, if we were to try to get into heaven with our sin, we would ruin all of it because it's a perfect place. Something has to be done with our sin before we can enter into the presence of God in heaven. And it's true also on a personal level. And that God is holy and he has nothing to do with sin. He's completely clean and we, we have sin in our lives. We separate ourselves from the presence of God. He cannot be near us in our sin. And I hope that you remember that on a daily basis. That your, presence, that your sin will keep you from God's presence. It's a terrible consequence of sin and unbrokenness. The one person we need the most in our lives can't be near us when we're unbroken because we're full of sin. Look at verse 12. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. You know, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Do you remember the day that you got saved? You remember the day? I remember the day as, as a nine-year-old boy. I, I, was, I had made a profession earlier, and then I just knew I heard a message on hell at junior camp. And I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I don't think I'm saved any walked me through it and I know that's the moment I look back now know that's the moment that that I placed my faith in Christ you remember the day you were saved is it a happy day I hope so I hope I hope you look back at that day and you think well that's a day of joy for me and I'm happy about that day there's a day of it's a day of joy and and David says but now now that I've gone through this this episode in my life with Bathsheba and I know that I'm guilty and I've been confronted by Nathan the prophet my joy is gone listen when you're unbroken because of your sin it affects your joy and I would challenge you to say to, to look into yourself examine yourself and if you in your life right now don't have the joy of Jesus Christ it is very likely because of sin somewhere in your heart a child of God should have joy that can't be touched by circumstances, but unbroken sin will just suck the joy and gladness out of our lives. When we're unhappy, examine ourselves. Look at verse 15. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. So listen, so he's praying now that God would open his lips and, and that he could praise God again. But the point of this prayer is he's saying, because of my sin and because of my unbrokenness and because of my condition, my lips have been sealed. My song has been stopped. And when Brother Samuel tonight, he, he said, he was talking about that merits our soul's best song. I love, I love the fact that we sang Love Lifted Me tonight because it really is a picture of this psalm in that, you know, we get our sin taken care of. We were, um, I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. You know, all those things were happening to me. I was sinking. I was stained with sin. I, I mean, there, it did not look good for me. But when you stepped in, love lifted me. Now I can serve God. Now I can be happy. It merits my soul's best song. And maybe the reason that some of you can't sing is because before you come into church, you don't deal with the sin that is built up in your heart. And you walk in the door and you wonder why there's not joy and why, why your lips are sealed. Well, I hope that you will understand that sin will keep you from singing your soul's best song. It's good for us, and I've preached on this before, probably not enough. It's good for us, though, before we enter into the presence of God and before we come in and expect God to move in us and do something in us, that we would take care of the things in our lives that, aren't, that, are, that are not right. Again, last night with Chloe, I was talking to her and I, I told her after she received Christ, I said, now the most important thing that you can do now that you're saved is right now you've got a clean slate and it feels really good, but it's probably not going to stay that way very long. And I, I, when I talk to people about that after they get saved, you always kind of see a little disappointment in their face like, what? I'm going to sin again? Well, they need to understand that because you do, but, but you don't have to, this sin doesn't have to affect your relationship if you'll confess it right away. Too often when we get saved or we, after we get saved, we start, we sin and we let those sins stack up. And now there's a long account between us and God and, and we, we don't hear from him and he's not working and we don't have the joy. And the reason is because we don't, we don't confess our sins as they come. The promise of God, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of, 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 of our unrighteousness. And listen, if you don't have that, the reason you may not be singing is because your sins are stacked up. You know, people that don't like to sing very much aren't going to enjoy heaven 
Because for eternity, we'll be lifting our voices in praise to God. We're going to do a lot of praising there. Look it down in verse 16. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Sin and unbrokenness will keep us from pleasing God. Look what David is saying. You, uh, you know, I could go, I could offer, I for, I could offer um, sacrifices, or I could take sacrifice to the priest and let a priest offer sacrifices for me. But he says, that's not what you're looking for. You're not looking for sacrifices. You're not looking for offerings. That's not what you want. And because of my sin, I can't even please you with those things. That's not what you're looking for. When you have sin, unbrokenness about your sin stacked up in your life, then then it keeps us from pleasing God. And we are too good at serving God, trying to serve God without dealing with our sin. And, And here's what we do. I heard someone say this one time. God doesn't want our busyness until he has our brokenness. God doesn't want us to, to do all the right things in serving him and bringing offerings and bringing sacrifices of praise and, you know, obedience, you know, doing what we're supposed to do. He doesn't want us to do those things if we're not broken over our sin. He doesn't want us just to be busy serving him if we're not broken before we serve him. And I just want to point these things out as, as the foundation for why brokenness is important. Because the results of David, David's unbrokenness, it reads like that list of symptoms on a prescription medication commercial. You know, those, those commercials where it, you know, it says something like, you know, this seasonal allergy medication may be right for you. Um, side effects may include a headache and vomiting and nausea and dizziness and cardiac arrhythmia and heart explosions and everything else. But it may be right for you. It may, it may help your allergies. You know, but I look at this list from David a little bit like that. And that you think, okay, yes, my allergies are bad and maybe this would help me. But all the side effects wouldn't make it worth it. And I think in some ways that's what David is doing right here. He's not, he wasn't broken over his sin and he let his sin stack up. And, and yes, um, you know, he, he thought that unbrokenness was the way to go. And he's like, you know, I don't have to deal with this. I can just kind of pretend like it's not happening. But all the side effects of sin... I'm telling you, it's not worth it. When you let your sins stack up and you let it go, un, uh, you let it go unconfessed and, it, it, it's un, and, and you don't have brokenness, um, then it, it's not worth it. The side effects will, will basically just destroy us spiritually. And here's the point that I want to make before I get into something more practical is that the results of remaining unbroken are not worth the side effects. The, the effects of sin are never worth hanging on to. And friends, we're fools if we hang on to sin. No one gets to be the exception when it comes to avoiding the consequences of sin. And you might think, well, I can be the one. I'll be the one. This is one thing in my life that nobody knows about. It'll be okay. It won't be found out. It's not hurting anybody. It's not affecting anybody. I'm telling you, you have a, a list of side effects of that sin that are longer than you could probably list out. You just don't know it yet. And the point that I want to make tonight when it comes to sin is this. You're better off broken. You're better off broken. Here's how a broken person responds to sin. Look at this petition that David starts with. He says, have mercy on me. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. See, his petition is this. He starts with a petition, and the petition is this. Have mercy on me. David approaches God on the basis of his mercy and loving kindness because he knows he has no other option besides God's mercy. And God's mercy is when God gives us what we don't deserve. I read an old Puritan who said this. There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. Paul said this, where grace did abound, or where sin abounded, grace did much more abound in 2 Corinthians 5. And I want you just to think about David's rap sheet. Because this is a long list of things. He had lust, he had adultery, he had deception, he had conspiracy, he had murder, he had cover-up. And we would probably write somebody off if they came to us with a past like that. But David throws himself on the mercy of God. And he begs forgiveness from God. 
and a broken person appeals to God's mercy because there's literally nothing else to be done. A broken person will throw himself or herself on the mercy of God because there's literally nothing else that you can do about your sin. And when I talk to people uh, or try to witness to people or present the gospel, you know, if, if you try to present the gospel without presenting somebody first that they are a sinner, then you've bypassed the point where they come to the end of themselves and say, I need God's mercy or I have no hope for salvation. We must always, in presenting the gospel, make sure that we bring somebody to the point that they know that they're a sinner and without God's mercy, they have absolutely no hope in themselves. So David starts with a petition, and his petition is this, have mercy on me. And then he goes next to an admission, and his admission is I take full responsibility. Look down in verses 2 and 3. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, cleanse me from my sin, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. You know what he's not doing? He's not passing blame. He's not passing the buck. A broken person doesn't try to justify their sin. They don't try to excuse their sin. And there are too many people in our culture and in our churches that blame their upbringing or they blame their parents or they're blaming their home life or they're blaming the school environment or they're blaming the church or they're blaming their personality or they're saying, well, this is just who I am. No, sin is the responsibility of the person who committed it. David didn't justify his sin. And this is hard because it takes humility to admit you're wrong. But in my estimation, there are only two reasons that you won't admit that you're, that you're wrong. Number one, you might be perfect. And if that's the case, good for you. But number two, you might be prideful. And I think most of us probably fit more into that category. Because the only reason you wouldn't admit that you're wrong is because you have so much pride in yourself that you would not confess or admit that it's your fault. I remember watching a police investigation show in, in which a man was caught in the act of something and he was, he was recorded. And he, they, they showed him the tape and he sat there and said, that's me, but that's not who I am. I wouldn't just do that. And I remember thinking... You did do that. So it is you. And here's David's emphasis in this psalm right here. He, here's what he says. What I did is who I am. What I did is who I am. See, a lot of people, they separate what they do from who they are. But a broken person is ready to say, what I did is who I am. I'm not blaming it on anybody else. It's nobody else's fault. I can't shift the blame. I can't pass the buck. There are no excuses. There's no justification. It's all on me. That's what broken people do. Unbroken people shift the blame, but broken people own it. So David, he started with a petition and says, have mercy on me. He went then to an admission and he says, I take full responsibility. And then he comes to this idea of restoration. He says, I want to get right. Look at verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know that phrase, purge me with hyssop, this was based on uh, the priestly practice of blood sacrifice in the tabernacle. And if you'll remember, hyssop is that plant that really looks, operates like a paintbrush in many ways. Does anybody remember the Old Testament story in which hyssop was used? What did they do? Put it on the doorposts there in Egypt the night that the angel uh, was coming through. They, they took hyssop and they put it on the doorpost and it acted like a paintbrush. They were painting their doorposts with blood. And David is saying, you know what David is saying right here when he says, purge me with hyssop? You know what he's saying is that only the blood can clean me. Only the blood can cleanse me. My only hope is that there's the blood taking care of my sin. And what I love about David here is that he wasn't looking to cover up his sin. He, he had already tried that. Think about it. He had already tried to cover up his sin. He had already tried to pretend like it didn't happen and God already saw it. And then Nathan the prophet came and confronted him. But now he's saying, I want you to get this part. He's saying, I don't just want to be pardoned. I want to be purified. 
See, it's one thing to desire to be let off. It's one thing to, be, to desire that, that the consequences that you don't have to deal with them. It's one thing to want to be pardoned and say, okay, I'm, I'm released from my consequences. I don't have to deal with those. But broken people don't just want to be pardoned. They want to be pure. They want to be clean. Broken people don't say, please clear my name. Broken people say, please clean me from the inside out. And if you're broken, you'll be more concerned about being made clean than, than having your name cleared. And I, I heard this, this illustration, and I, I'm not sure. I think it's probably a, an urban legend or a tradition. But you know, here in South Dakota, there are, there are some, we have weasels in South Dakota, okay? And a couple of these, these species of weasels, in the wintertime, they shed the brown fur, and they have white fur in the wintertime. And when they're white-furred, they are called an ermine, E-R-M-I-N-E. And so, I mean, that's, that's well known. I mean, it's, it's something that you're probably, you may even be familiar with. But, but the tradition is, and I, again, I'm not sure, but, you know, it's on the Internet, so it must be true. <laughs> this is an old illustration, and I've heard it before, but I, I'm going to use it because I think it makes a good point. The tradition is, is that when the ermines, when they had, when they had their white fur, um, th they knew the importance of keeping that fur snow white. And so the tradition says that hunters would find their dens or their holes and cover it with, with filth, mud, dirt. And then they would release the dog on the ermine and the ermine would run back to its home, but it didn't want to get its coat dirty and go back into the home. And so it would rather die than get dirty. Now, again, I don't know how true it is, but it makes a good point. Because God's people ought to desire to be so clean that they'd rather die than get dirty. And I don't know that we live in our Christian culture today. I don't know that we're there anymore. I think we've gotten so used to sin. And we've gotten so used to being kind of getting dirty. I'm not even saying that it's our choice. I'm saying just living in the culture around us. I mean, if you, I was talking to somebody this week, just being in your workplace around the people that you work with sometimes and the stuff they talk about. The subject matter and the things that they joke about. And I think about my kids, my, my girls going into that kind of a workplace. And I just say, God, please protect them. Because, I mean, you know this. And you probably work in situations and environments where you can't hardly help but just getting dirty just because you're around it all the time. But we ought to be so sensitive to sin. A broken person is so sensitive to sin that he would do just about anything before he gets dirty. We ought to be so committed to God that we'd rather die than be dirty. You know, we're good at what I call temporary repentance. And by that I mean we're sorry in the moment so that we can be forgiven. But in no time at all, we're right back in the dirt. Can we determine to be people that seek real repentance? And by true repentance, I mean that we don't return to the dirt. Let's stop being sorry enough to be forgiven but not broken enough to be changed. Listen, we are sorry enough to be forgiven. We have enough regrets to be forgiven, but too often we're not broken enough to truly be changed. And it's temporary. True brokenness leads to change. And so I just want you to think, David had a petition, and his petition was, have mercy on me. He had a confession, which is, I take full responsibility. He had restoration, which says, I want to get right. And then finally we see a resolution. And here's the resolution. He says, I want to make a difference. Look at verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. 
See, I, I want to just look at that word then. The, the first word there in verse 13 is then, and if you'll notice, it's an italicized word. Now, the italicized words in the King James are there to make it more understandable for English readers. They're, they're coming from the Hebrew. If you're going to go from the Hebrew to the English, it's, it, there are some things that don't translate exactly, and the translator would add words to convey the thought that was there. Now, understand, they're not adding words to change the meaning of the verses. And they're not adding words in a sinful way. They were, not everything directly translates. And this word then, you might say, you might discount it, but listen, I don't discount the italicized words. Because I, I do believe that God had a hand in preserving his word. He wants his word to be preserved for us. I believe he's preserved it for us in his King James Bible. And I'm grateful for the work that was done for, from those translators that, that, that they put their time and effort into this to give us what, what I believe is the idea that was coming across in the original language. And so to me that then is important because the idea is still there. David is making this point. Okay, As he's restored by God's mercy, he would then be more passionate and effective and helping others experience their own restoration. Do you get this idea? Like, Think about it. We're talking about David and he's going through and he's talking about this petition. And he's saying, God have mercy on me. I know I'm a sinner. And he says this admission is it's my sin. And it's my transgression. And it's my iniquity. And he says, I want to be restored. Purge me with hyssop. Make me right. I want to be made right. And God wants you to do this. And you restore to me the joy of my salvation. And you get me back to where I'm supposed to, do, to be. He says, then will I teach transgressors thy ways. And sinners shall be converted unto thee do you understand what David is saying here he's saying if I can experience this kind of grace and mercy in my life and if you will forgive me for the kind of sins that I have done then God I will turn around and I will teach transgressors thy way and I will help other people to be converted because I've experienced the kind of mercy no one could ever deserve, but it's so special and it's so important that God, I want nothing more to turn around and take the restoration I have enjoyed and I've experienced and help somebody else experience the exact same thing. Here's the thing, when you've been truly revived, when God has truly done a work in your heart, you've come to see yourself in terms of sin. You know how bad the sin was. You know how much mercy you've received. You know how little you deserve it. And when you take ownership and God forgives you and God changes you and he cleans you and he restores you, listen, your thought should be, I want everybody I meet to experience what I've experienced. When you've been broken you want others to experience the restoring power of God. Can you imagine experiencing this kind of restoration after committing this kind of sin? And once you receive it, walking away and just living your life? No, David said, no, I will teach other people how merciful you are, God. And yet, if we're honest... We needed just as much mercy as David did. Because I don't care if you came from a Christian home. I don't care if you, if you were the best kid that's ever lived. If you didn't have God's mercy in your life, you would have no hope of heaven because you're a sinner. And we've got people that grew up in the streets and they've done all kinds of things and they lived a hard life and they've done things that probably would make some of us blush. But the same mercy that they required is the mercy that every church kid in every Sunday school requires too. We are all in equal footing when it comes to mercy from God. Without God's help, we have absolutely no hope. And so I'm asking you, you say, well, if I had David's mercy, I mean, if God had shown me mercy in that situation, I would definitely tell people about Jesus. But I'm asking you, listen, you have received just as much mercy. You are just as hopeless. And I'm asking you, are you that passionate about telling people about the mercy you've received? Broken people can make a difference. Because they know how terrible sin is and they know how hard brokenness is, but they also know how wonderful, wonderful restoration is. And this is the connection between revival and missions, is that if you've experienced 
revival after sin at any point in your life, then you should be passionate about telling other people about it too. Because you know if God can make that kind of difference in your life, he can do it for everybody. So why does brokenness matter? Well, because without brokenness, we feel these effects of sin that are so terrible. But with brokenness, we can be effective for God. You're better off broken. You're better off being sensitive to your sin. You're better off every little thing that comes up in your life stopping and confessing and being sensitive. And you might have people say, you're way too sensitive to that stuff. Listen, I'd, be, I'd much rather be sensitive to sin than callous to it. I'd rather be broken over my sin, no matter how small or how big. And it's something I've always appreciated about Brother Jacob. Jacob Madden, of course, he's been here for three summers, and we all love Jacob. When he was in seventh grade, we went on youth outreach. And, and we were at Subway for lunch. And Jacob went up, and he, you know, he just was a nervous Nancy, okay? I mean, he would just, his first few trips, we'd go to tri I mean, overnight trips, and, he, and he'd throw up every time. He's just nervous being away from mama. He's still that way a little bit, but, you know, don't tell him. <laughs> we were at Subway at Youth Outreach, seventh grade, wide-eyed, you know, just trying to figure out what to do and what sandwich to order, and his mom had probably always done it for him, and... So he gets up there and he pays for his food and, and he pays for a medium drink or a small drink and they give him a medium. So he goes over to the pop machine and the, the fountain and he starts to fill it up and then it dawns on him that he got a medium cup instead of a small. And they had handed it to him. And he came to me in tears saying... You know, Brother Jet, they, I don't know what to do. They gave me a medium and, they, and I paid for a small. What should I do? And I said, you wicked sinner. <laughs> I said, you're walking home. <laughs> no. I said, come on. We walked up to the counter and I said, I, he guys accidentally gave him a medium and he, and he, he only ordered a small. And they were like, oh, that's okay. Sorry. And sorry about that. No big deal. And so we walked, he threw up. We walked, no, just kidding. <laughs> We walked back to the table and everything was okay. And you know, I've always appreciated that about Brother Jacob. Because ever since I've known him, he's always been sensitive to the things in his life that may not be right. And we live, I think, in such a way that sometimes we let these things go. And we let the conversations that we, maybe the subjects we shouldn't be talking about, we kind of laugh it off. Or some of the words we, we say or some of the things we'll watch or things that we look at or maybe a song we listen to, we let these things go. And eventually it kind of just wears our conscience away, conscience away that we're not really sensitive to it anymore. And I think we need to be more like Brother Jacob. And that when we sin, we're broken over sin. And I'm not saying that we just stop living life, but I do think we ought to be more sensitive. And being broken means you're sensitive to your sin because until you're broken, you're not going to recognize your need to be fixed. And until you're fixed, the effects of sin will just weigh heavy on your life. But when you're fixed, you know what you'll want to do? You'll want others to experience what you've experienced. So being broken by sin is the path to make the biggest difference in those around you. And it all starts with brokenness. Brokenness over sin leads to a petition for mercy, and a petition for mercy leads to restoration, and a restoration leads to a resolve to tell other people, broken people, about Christ. So just some closing thoughts here. Until God's people stop being okay with sin, they will continue to be ineffective witnesses. There's a strong connection here, folks. Until God's people stop being okay with sin, we will remain ineffective in our witness. Listen, you cannot be right with God and still please him. That's why he said here in verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken contrite heart. Verse 16, thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. I mean, a whole burnt offering, you're not even looking for that. Listen, God's not interested in you doing what you can for him if, you're not, if you are not what you are supposed to be for him. Stop trying to be busy without being broken. 
David had to be broken over his sin before he had a then make a difference moment. So I'm asking you tonight, how's your witness? Could it be that your unbrokenness over sin is limiting your resolve to tell others about Christ? Second truth, the most important result of brokenness is closeness with God. Do you realize you cannot be close to God if you're not broken before God? What does your closeness to God right now say about your view of sin? Because according to this song, they're related. Number three, the worst thing you can do with sin is ignore it. The best thing you can do is cast yourself on the limitless mercies of God. When's the last time you came to God broken over your sin? To be pure, not just to be pardoned. To be clean, not just to be cleared. Don't just seek for ways to be released from consequences. Seek to be cleansed from the sin. You know, here's interesting. The world says if you break it, you buy it. But God said, if it's broken, I'll buy it. And he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for the broken ones. So why not resolve to live your life to make a difference for a God who would do that for you? All my life to him I give. Ever to him I'll cleave. Why? Because love lifted me. And he showed you multiplied mercies. Multitudes of mercies for your multiplied sin. And you know the only reasonable response according to Romans chapter 12 verse 1? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? By the mercies of God. That ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your what? Reasonable service. If you've received mercy to that degree, God deserves anything I, I, that he can get from my life. And I'm asking you tonight, are you broken over sin? And are you being a witness because your witness likely is connected to your brokenness over sin? Maybe we ought to go back to the beginning. Rather than promote, hey, outreach. Rather than promote, hey, let's go out and reach reach people and tell people. and Let's pass out tracts. Maybe we need to, rather than going out, maybe we need to go down. No, I want to tell transgressors thy ways. I want souls to be converted. But in order for me to really do that with the effectiveness and passion that I need, I've got to be broken over my sin once again. Where has that gone? We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.